It is very exciting to be able to introduce Bounty this morning. We are starting a new series, a new preaching series called Troublemakers, um, following um, Elijah and Elisha. Um, so we're looking forward to what you've got to say to us this morning, Bounty. So over to you. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Walter. I've got the privilege to lead the team that leads the church here at Life Church, and I'm going to go and dive straight in. One of the things that I love doing is reading biographies from Martin Luther to C.S. Lewis to Walt Disney to Fred Rogers, and I love how they are described in different ways. We can see that Martin Luther was known as the reformer. Um, C.S. Lewis is an influential writer of his time. Uh, we can see that Walt Disney was described as a creative genius and Fred Rogers as the friendly neighbor. Now, throughout time, Christians have been called all sorts of things, uh, from those who follow Christ to little Christs, Christians. Uh, but one of the phrases that I really love uh, comes from the New Testament, where Paul and Silas are described as men who go around the whole world and stir up trouble. Now, that shouldn't really surprise us, because Jesus had already said that he had come not to bring peace, but to stir up trouble. Now, when we read through uh, the New Testament, we can see that Christians were those who stood up for the marginalized and uh, caused trouble for the kingdom of darkness. And I wish when somebody read my eulogy at the end of my life, that it would contain the word troublemaker, that I would be known as one who caused trouble for the kingdom of darkness, those uh, uh, who would stand up up against um, injustice and uh, make a stand for those who are marginalized. Now in our current preaching series we're going to be looking at two men in the Old Testament who were known and also described as troublemakers. Uh, they lived in a time when the people had turned away from God and they were there to bring the people back to God and stir up trouble for those who were leading the people of God astray. They're called Elijah and Elisha. We can read all about them in the books of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and that's what we're going to be doing over this series to look at the powerful lives of Elijah and Elisha. At Life Church, we love preaching through subjects that we feel God's laying on our hearts, but most of all, we preach through Bible books because we love the whole Word of God. Now, we love preaching through the New Testament, but also from the Old Testament, and that's what we're going to be doing in this series for the book of 1 and 2 Kings, looking at the powerful lives of Elijah and Elisha. Now, the Old Testament is filled with the fingerprints of Jesus. We can see foreshadows of him all the way through. And that's what we're going to be doing in these series, to discover how this is pointing forward to Jesus and what it has to say to us. Now, much had happened. The people of God had uh, moved into the promised land and they were trying to drive out their enemies. And in that process, not all of them were driven out because God wanted to test them. Now, sadly, rather than bringing God's presence into the whole country, they start to take on the religion of the people that were still left behind. And there were all sorts of trouble that started to be stirred up. Now, first, God brought them judges to save them from their own struggles. And then we can see that the people of God start calling out for a king. They want a king like the nations around. And God says, um, I'm pretty sure that you don't want to, but I'm going to grant your wish. And it starts off rather dubious with Saul. It looks like quite an impressive guy and off to a good start, but turns out soon that he was not a great king. He's followed by David, who was a much better king, and he leads the people into new seasons of uh, fruitfulness. And uh, yet David turns out to be flawed too. He kills a man and uh, takes his wife. And um, uh, we can see uh, that yet God in the midst of that continues 
continues to be gracious. Out of that marriage is another king that is born and his name is Solomon. He follows in David's footsteps and he is a mighty king. He starts well asking God for wisdom, but then his heart is led astray by the many wives that he has and he starts to follow their gods. And in that process, God says, the kingdom's going to be torn away from you, Solomon, but not until after you've died. And when he dies, we can see that the kingdom uh, is broken up in two. In the north, we've got 10 tribes called Israel that are led by a series of bad kings. And then in the south, we can see the line of David continuing with two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, uh, called Judah. And in that uh, kingdom, there's uh, a few more good kings that still continue to see God, but also plenty of kings that don't follow God's lead. And from there on, we can see after a series of six bad kings, a really bad king arises on the scene. His name is Ahab. Now, Ahab is described in rather dubious terms. In 1 Kings 16 verse 30, we can read as follows. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jerobiam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Athbol, king of Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. One who did more evil than any of those before. Well, it's in that context that God starts to raise up prophets who start to warn the king and the people. And the first uh, prolific uh, prophet that rises to the scene is Elijah. And he is described in chapter 17 as follows. He says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now we're not even one sentence into the introduction of Elijah and we can already see him stirring up trouble. He announces a drought and that drought was to last three years. Now, why would you say a drought? Well, the, the, the god that Ahab was serving, Baal, was known as the god of the storms. He was the one who would bring rain, and to not have rain for three years was a direct confrontation to the god of Ahab called Baal, who was supposedly to bring rain. And we can see that in a season of drought, the whole country spirals down in a crisis. It was not like we have in our day that we have a, a global uh, market where we have import and export all around and where a drought season you could perhaps import some products from an, another country. You know, in this uh, particular country, uh, when a drought hits, everyone was suffering. And we can see that very quickly um, the, the whole nation spirals down into economic disaster. Now, I don't know whether you've given it much thought, but if you look into this context, it seems quite a severe warning, a big hurdle that's been thrown up. And uh, uh, in our lives, God uses warnings and hurdles to be thrown up in people's ways when they're drifting away from God too. I don't know whether you've ever experienced it, where you feel wholeheartedly convinced that you need to go in a certain direction, but whatever you're trying, it just seems like that door is shut. Well, I've had that many times in my life. And then uh, eventually, 
it turned out that actually God was saving me from disaster to go down that road and he was protecting me from making mistakes by keeping that door closed. Now I wonder whether there's things in your life currently uh, where God's throwing up hurdles. Perhaps you are turning away into an unhelpful direction and God's trying to slow you down and stop you or perhaps there's some doors that have been closed and you don't understand why. Perhaps it could be that God is bringing up hurdles in your way to learn how to trust in him and turn away from those. In those moments rather than trying to push harder and run faster it's important that we learn how to surrender to God. Now we pick up the story and we can see that the drought hits the nation. We can see in verse 2 that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kirith Raven east of Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So what we can see is that not just the country is hit by the famine, but Elijah too, who lives in that country. But he's provided for by God in miraculous ways. He sits by the side of a river and he's fed beef baguettes by ravens. And I think Elijah probably would have been pretty chuffed. God's been looking after him. But then we can see that the brook dries up and he is to move on. And this time, God's provision is rather peculiar. It says in verse 9, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. A rather dubious provision. Now when we look at uh, Zarephath, it was located outside of Israel, in the north. It was actually from the area of Sidon where uh, Queen um, Jezebel was from. It was there where the worship of Baal came from in the first place. So Elijah's been sent right into the heart of enemy territory there uh, when it comes to the worship of Baal. And we can see that God's provided a widow for him. And this was not a rich, wealthy widow. It turns out when he gets there and he asks her for some food that all she has left is a handful of flour and a little bit of oil in jug. Um, it's hardly the provision you could imagine. And we can see that as Elijah is being called there, he is called to uh, provide for her and she is called to provide for him. It's a wonderful way in which God brings things together. So Elijah asks the widow, give me the last bit that you have, feed me first, and then God will provide for you. Now this was a real test for the widow. What would she do with the last handful of flour and a bit of oil that she had? Well, she probably had nothing to lose and she decided to trust. And uh, from that moment onwards, the miraculous provision happens. The widow provides for Elijah and then God provides for the widow because the flour uh, never runs out and the oil never runs out until the drought finishes. So we can read about that in verse 14. It says, For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And so it happens. Now it's a rather peculiar provision because we would never expect a widow to be the one who'd be supplying for Elijah or the other way around. But it's God's wonderful way of providing. You see, God provides this time not through uh, beef baguettes by ravens, but by uh, scarcity from a widow. And this is a wonderful, miraculous provision too. And we can see throughout uh, the, the, the New Testament that this really is God's design for community. It was never about people who had it all together, who were really rich and came to help others. It was always people in need who had little to offer that he used to bless others. And as they bring their, their little everything, God provides to others through that means. And I just love that. And I wonder what it is that God has placed in your life at the moment. Perhaps you've always been waiting for a little more, a little more money to give, 
a little bit more time so you can serve, uh, perhaps a little bit more opportunity so you can care for others. Well, the reality is uh, if we don't start to serve God with the little that we have now, we're probably not going to do it when we have more. We can see throughout scripture that we are called to bring the little that we have to serve those around us. And as we do that, we'll be given more. Just like the widow did not run out of provision, we will not run out of provision when we start to be obedient with the things that God has called us to. For a while, everything is fine, but then trouble hits. The widow's son dies. And we can see in verse 18 that she says to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? This widow seems to have done everything that God had asked her to, and yet it produced a wrong result. Her son dies. The only hope that she had left, if her son would have grown up, he would be her means of provision. But we can see that even now that's taken away. Have you ever had seasons in your life where you've tried to do the right thing only for it to turn out the wrong way and God to take away even the little bit of hope that you have? It's hard, isn't it? When you try to give, but somehow there's a bill that comes through or you try to serve and you run out of time or you try to care and people turn their back on you. In those moments, we are likely to say to God, it doesn't work. See, I'm going to do it my own way. And yet this is not how it works in the kingdom of God. God is after our obedience more than he is after our comfort. And we can see in this story that in this moment in time, the widow is tested. And often we are tested too. Now, when we are obedient, we will find that God will provide in wonderful ways everything that we need. But often it will take us through dark moments, difficult moments where obedience is tested. I love the story of Daniel's friends in the Old Testament where they are called to bow down before a statute and they say, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow down and we believe that our God will rescue us from your hand. And then they say, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your statue. And this is such an encouragement to us. I want to encourage you, if you've been trying to do the right thing and it has produced a wrong results, don't give up. Don't turn to God and say it didn't work. Continue to be faithful. God will see our obedience, and this is what matters to him. Now we can see that the story doesn't end there. So Elijah takes the son, puts him in his bed, and a slightly bizarre ritual takes place. He lays down on top of the boy three times, and we can see that he comes back to life, and he produces his son back to uh, his mother, and then we can see a wonderful response. The woman says in verse 24 to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. You see, ultimately what God had in mind was not just a provision for the widow in terms of food, not just provision in terms of a son, but provision in terms of knowing God. Now, ultimately, this is what God is after. He's not just after providing for us. He is after revealing himself to us. And we can see that ultimately uh, the fingerprints of Jesus are woven all the way through this story. You see, he would be the true son who would come down from heaven to earth. And he would gather an unlikely team of people who would hardly be described as the provision for the world. And yet together they start to bring the gospel of the good news of Jesus into the world. Now, Jesus, although he worked miracles and provided for people, ultimately 
died on a cross. It seemed to be a foolish way to provide for God's people, but he died instead of you and me to take our place. And he was God's provision for the world. It seemed hardly like a rich, wealthy provision that we needed. Somebody hanging on a cross, dying as a criminal. But three days later, he came back alive and he started to bring the life that he had gained through his resurrection across the whole world. Now we can see that God gave his only son. And when Jesus cried out on the cross, no miracle happened, but Jesus was obedient. He was faithful with the little that he was given. He continued to be faithful. And then we can see that his followers continue to do the same. They become disciples, a very ordinary bunch of people who start to reach the world with the gospel. They hardly seem the provision that God had in mind at all. And yet when they start to give their little everything, we can see that whole nations, cities, and even continents are transformed transformed through their work. We can see um, it takes them some time to understand what God's really up to. We can read in John 20 a wonderful story of Thomas who doesn't believe that Jesus is risen again uh, until he puts his fingers on his wounds, he says. And then Jesus comes and uh, he uh, gives him the opportunity to do so. And he says, Uh, John 20 verse 27, he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Then Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We live in a time of spiritual drought too, where many don't believe, but deeply hungry for something that is real and something that brings them hope. And we can see that we are God's provision for the world. When we have found our everything in Jesus, we become the hope of the world. People who bring their little everything and allow it to be transformed by God become the hope of those around them. When we bring our obedience, when we follow and find our everything in Jesus, we become the hope of those around us. Now, I wonder who God has placed in your situation to reach out to. You may know that although you have little, you don't have to wait until you have more, until you can make a difference. God wants to use you now to make a difference, to use you, to bring you into a season of fruitfulness, to reach out to those around you. And I want to encourage you, become troublemakers to the kingdom of darkness. Bring the little everything that you have. Put your trust in Jesus and you too will become a mighty provision for this world. Why don't we pray to finish together? Father, we thank you that you lead us, that your ultimate goal is to provide for us so that we may see you, so that we may know you, and so that through us the world may know you. Lord, we pray that you will use us as we make ourselves available. In Jesus' name. Amen. Brilliant. Thanks, Walter. Who wants to become troublemakers, hey? Let's go for it. God is a good, good father. And it is great to be reminded of who we are as well as his children. So we'll see you again next week at a quarter past 10 um, in the same place. So have a good week, everyone.